0: You are listening to Overcomer's Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I have a really... uh, i got so much on me to share. Uh, I doubt I'll get it all out this week. It'll probably move to being two weeks. Um, But it's a pretty heavy topic. And so I'm going to talk today about uh, deception that actually usually what I do is I say I'm going to talk about, but today I'm going to give you a title and it's, it's Deception Antidote or a better way you could say it probably is just the antidote for deception. And so, we're living in a day where deception is uh, a real thing, and so I'm going to get into that. But I thought, before I get into to the heavy revy, uh, I'm going to open, and I, see, I'm a little nervous because I don't usually tell jokes, but I'm going to tell a couple jokes. And the, the reason I'm nervous about that is because every time I do, people say, your jokes are terrible. And so, you know, nobody likes to get beat up, and so I'm just, I'm putting myself out here, Okay. So, anyway, so here's um, here's a couple I think that are really good. So, a preacher, of course, I'm going to tell a preacher joke. A preacher uh, just died, and was in line to go to heaven. And there was a guy in front of him waiting to get into heaven as well. And the preacher asked the guy, "What did you do in your life?" And the guy rep- replies, "Well, I was a bus driver, but I always stole and cheated and broke the law a lot." The preachers. Uh, says, well, in my life, I was a preacher, and I always gave to charity and was nice to people and gave great sermons. And eventually, the bus driver walks up to St. Peter, and they talked for a few minutes, and the bus driver walks right into heaven. The preacher walks up to St. Peter and says, uh, and St. Peter said to him, so what did you do in your life? And the preacher says, well, I was a preacher. I was always good uh, and doing good things and following the commandments can I enter heaven now? And St. Peter says, I don't know. And the man says, what? what do you mean you don't know? How come the bus driver got to go into heaven and he did many bad things and, and I did a lot of good things? And St. Peter said, well, when he drove his bus, people started praying. But when you gave your sermons, people started sleeping. Next one, uh, my New Year's resolutions are, number one, stop writing lists. B, be more consistent. Seven, learn how to count. Marriage is like a deck of cards. It starts off with hearts and diamonds, but soon after moves to clubs and spades. What do the buffalo fathers say when his male offspring moves out? Bye, son. <laughs> last, last one. I'm going to have to pray before I start ministering. Uh, another minister joke. I'll finish with this. A minister decided to skip church one Sunday morning and go play golf. I actually did this one time. Not really. I was out of town, and, I, and it, it happened. Anyways, I was not in town. But uh, he, So he told his assistant that he wasn't feeling well, so he drove to a golf course in another city so nobody would know him. He teed off on the first hole. A huge gust of wind caught his ball and carried his ball an extra uh, 200 yards and dropped it right in the hole for a 450-yard hole-in-one. And an angel looked at God and said, what'd you do that for? God smiled and said, who's he going to tell? So, with that being said, in all seriousness, would you just stand for one more moment and you stretch your hands towards me and pray for me. Hallelujah. So, Father, we just thank you, uh, Lord, for the mouth of me coming forward, that revelation is coming to our hearts as we have a little bit of fun today. And Father, I thank you that we have ears to hear and that every person in this place is going to be transformed by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit bringing revelation to their hearts. So God, we give you all the praise and the glory. We thank you that the glory of man is falling, but the glory of Jesus is rising. That we're in the greatest time that there has ever been to live, and it is a privilege to serve you. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for a robust faith settling on us that we can believe you for anything to happen, that anything can happen in this room today and in our lives because of you. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Hallelujah. You could be seated. So uh, thank you for enduring my jokes. Um, But so the Lord really began to speak to me recently just about the reality of deception and and people being deceived. And it's amazing when you, you look in the scriptures how many verses there are on deception. And we like to look at, I don't know about you all, but I like to look at the ones that are about like believe in God and things are going to be amazing and how much Jesus loves me. But there is a lot in the word concerning the issue of deception. And so this really caught my attention recently in prayer. And the Lord began to speak to me about ministering, about sharing on deception. And the thing about deception is that, and this is the nature of deception, is that people don't know that they're deceived. Because if they knew that they were deceived, they wouldn't be. And so people have to realize, and I'll read a verse here in a moment, where even Jesus said that if possible, even the elect will be deceived. And the elect are talking about, it's talking about us, it's talking about people that have been born again, that have a relationship with the Lord. And he's saying that there will come a time that if possible, some of them would even be deceived. And I don't know about you all, although I'm pretty confident in you, uh, I'm very confident in you, you don't want to be deceived, we don't want to be deceived, we want to, we want to be free From any form of deception. And so there is an antidote to deception that I'm gonna share with you today. But I'm gonna go through some verses here just to um, really basically, I'm gonna read verses for about seven minutes and just discourage you, and then I'm going to encourage you. Amen? So you're gonna see all of these verses about deception and the potential for people to be deceived. And so you have to remember that basically all of these, uh, with the exception of one Old Testament scripture verse, basically, Um, all of these that I'm going to read today are from the New Testament. So he's talking to believers. So Romans 16, and I'm going to read fast. And so it might be up on the screen if they can keep up with me. But if not, you don't have to turn there. You can go and look later if you want. Romans 16, uh, 17 and 18, it says, now I urge you, brother, and note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such, do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Colossians 2 and 4 says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And then in verse 8 of Colossians 2, it says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition which is talking about the antichrist but it's saying let no one deceive you second corinthians 11:3 it says but i fear lest anyone excuse me for i fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Matthew 24, and verses 3 and 4, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming uh, and the end of the age? And so they were wanting to know everything that was going to happen. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Isn't it interesting? They said, tell us the things that are going to take place. And before he gets ready to tell them the things that are going to take place, he says, let nobody deceive you. Don't let anybody deceive you. In the same passage, he continues with the same tone. In verse 11, he says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, which by the way, a false prophet is not one who misses the mark. A false prophet is one that has wrong motives in their prophecy. They have wrong motives in their ministry. There's a huge difference. Everybody can miss the mark. Everybody misses the mark. Even people that are called into the five-fold ministry miss it sometimes. The sign of a false prophet is not of inaccuracy. Now, I don't think this should be inaccurate a lot, but if they miss the mark, it doesn't make them false. What makes them false is their motives behind why they're operating the way that they are. Verse 12, and it says, "'Because lawlessness,' Um, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The King James says that the love of many will wax cold. And what it means to wax cold, it's kind of like when you take a candle, if you know how a candle is made, it's one layer at a time. So it's dipped into the wax, it's pulled out, and it dries. It's dipped back into the wax, it's pulled out, and it dries. And that process is continued until enough wax is built to make a candle. That's what it's referring to here. It's saying because of lawlessness, and I don't know that it's always because of the lawlessness of the individual, but it's the lawlessness of the world that we're living in, the love of many will, will wax cold. And I can tell you now that one of the things that's the most challenging being in the world that we we live in, the society that we live in, and all the things that are going on, one of the biggest challenges that we have in front of us is just to keep our hearts red hot on fire for Jesus. It has to be a very intentional thing because if we're not careful, the world will be continually dipping us into the whateverness of the world, and one layer at a time, our heart begins to grow Cold and our love grows cold towards the Lord and people around us. So it's because of that, this prophecy and this time that Jesus was talking about. And I believe the time is now. And this is how I view end times. Because it's interesting because this was, you know, 2,000 years ago. And they said, when are these things going to take place? And, you know, Jesus, like in a lot of his language, he's like, be ready, be prepared. Well, all those guys are dead and gone. And here we still are. 2,000 years later. This is the way I view end times, is that from the birth of the church all the way until Jesus returns again, it's an escalation of things. That's how I I view it. Now, there is a reality and timing of prophetic events that are definitely taking place in the time that we're living in, but it's true for them back then. It's even more true for us now to be careful that we don't fall into any form of deception. And so then in verse 24 of Matthew 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You know, I've thought about this, and I'm like, you know, could the church really get to a point to where it would believe or potentially follow a false Christ? And my answer, you know, five years ago, I would have said yes, but I would have had a hard time seeing it. But now that I'm looking at the things that are going on in our world, And watching the world become uh, uh, digress in morality, like that's not surprising to me. But to see the church digress in morality, also at the same time, that is surprising to me. There's a lot of things that for uh, centuries the church has known has been wrong because it's written in the Word of God. And so, But now we see this uptick of all of the the evil that's happening in the world, and you see believers that are confused about issues that they haven't been confused about. And worse than just believers being confused and being deceived, you have ministers that are standing up in the name of Jesus, proclaiming things to be true that are not. They're calling good evil and evil good. I mean, how did we ever get to a place to where Christians would actually fight against pro-life, the pro-life movement. Because whenever abortion came on the scene in 1973, well, it's been on the scene for a long time, thousands of years, abortion has been taking place. But when it became legalized and it, and it grew, like the church as a whole, I mean, they were dead set against it. But what we've seen over the past 50 years is that there's a lot of Christians that have bought into the lies of, you know, I'll just say the lies. I'll just put it out there like that so I don't get myself into trouble. But they bought into the lies, and they too, many of them, have become proponents. And in and, and, and even some extreme cases, they've been pro-choice activists. How is that possible? It's because they have been deceived. So now I look at a verse like this where Jesus says, Beware that false Christs will emerge and that you don't get deceived by them. And I'm thinking, like, there's only, like, when I read this, I'm like, there's one Christ. Like, I'm not going to be confused because I know the one Christ that's in the Word of God, so I'm pretty clear about what's going on there. Why did he say that? He said that because it's a reality of the time that we're living in now. People are so far removed from what is really true, the palm line for what's really true. People, the church, when I say the people, I mean the church is so far removed uh, from it That deception is rampant in our culture. People believe all kinds of things. People watch reels, guilty as charged, but they'll believe the things that are being said on the reels and on, you know, what these Facebook posts and whatever's on the end, they'll believe it as being factual. There is only one factual thing in the world and it is the word of God. And so the further we stray from the word, the more we open ourselves up to deception. So it's incredibly important that we always keep ourselves tethered to the word because there's lots of things to gravitate towards, but if it pulls us away from the word, then it's simply just not right. And so I I don't, five years ago, if somebody had told me there's going to be people rise up and say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh and and that some of the church would believe that, five years ago I'd have been like, nah, we're not there now I'm like, we're there. We're there. If, if there was something that came out, and this is another thing that Jesus talked about, one of the signs of a false prophet is they will deny that Jesus came in the flesh. I think there was John that said that actually, but it's in the Word, that one of the signs of a false prophet is that they would deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Well, wouldn't it be like the somebody of somebodies to just say, actually, we come to find out and we've got, we've, got this, uh, we've got DNA proof that Jesus really wasn't the Messiah or whatever it was that they would come up, up with and, and say and propagate. I believe that if that were to come out, that Christians, many of them would look at the scientific proof or look at what people are saying and not go back and look at what the Word of God says. The Bible is abundantly clear about who the Messiah really was. As a matter of fact, um, and I say as a matter of fact, I'm not smart enough to do the math, but I, I heard somebody that did the, the math and I just took it at face value, it seemed right to me, that out of all of the prophecies that were spoken about the Messiah, that for, for Jesus to have not been the Messiah and fulfill only eight of the prophecies, it was like one in a trillion chance that he could have, been, could have not been the Messiah. Hopefully you followed with me that took a lot of brain power to say that <laughs> so in other words the fact that he filled even fulfilled even 8 of all the prophecies that were spoken about him for him, not who have been the Messiah. It was like one, and I don't remember the number, but it was astronomical. It was like one in a trillion chance. Well, Jesus didn't fulfill just eight of all of the prophecies that were spoken about him. He fulfilled all of the prophecies that were spoken about him. The odds of him not being the Messiah on a mathematical level are statistically impossible. It's it's you can't say it's impossible, but it is impossible. It's impossible for him to have not been the Messiah. And so what's going to be said in the days to come? And so for me as a shepherd, I take this stuff serious. And when I read in the word and it's like, man, there's all this warning about deception. We should have our eyes opened up to make sure that we are, we are well-placed to not be deceived amongst the masses that might be deceived. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is an incredible passage to me because it says that some will depart from the faith. Well, it's impossible to have departed from something that you were never at. This isn't talk, as I've heard people say, oh, that's talking about people that didn't believe in Jesus. No, no, this is talking about people that believed in Jesus, people like me and you, elect ones. And by the way, the elect ones aren't a certain group of people that God has Chosen, it's the ones that have chosen Jesus that he knew that, he would, that they would choose him. And so he chose them before they chose him. Amen. Stick with that. So there's nothing special about us other than we said yes to Jesus and so we're the elect, right? And he's, Jesus said even the elect will be deceived. And he says, and so then Timothy says that, that if, if possible or it will happen that in latter times that some will depart from the faith. So they were at a place, listen to me now, they were at a place where they believed what the Bible said, they believed in the Word of God, they believed in in all of the right stuff, but then they departed from the faith. That's an incredible statement. Sometimes we just read and we're like, a lot of times someone depart from the faith, let's wait and stop and think about it for a second. They, They once believed in Jesus, believed that he was the only way, and then they departed from that place. That's a scary reality. It's a, so for me, I don't ever want to be at a place where I will go, that could never happen to me. I want to go, Jesus, help me to become a person that is inoculated against deception. I want to be insulated against deception. Deception is there. Father, help me build a guard around my own life to where I'm not one of those that become deceived. And, and what Timothy says here the last part of this verse, it says, giving heed to deceiving spirits, this means that there are deceiving spirits that are working to deceive people. There are spirits of fear. There are spirits of infirmity. There are spirits of, of all kinds of things. And do you know that there's a, there are spirits of deception? They work to come in and lie to people in their mind and their thinking and their heart and get them to believe things that are not right, thus deceiving them. Let me tell you something about people that are deceived, is that they don't become deceived because they are evil, they become evil because they are deceived. Let me say this again so you get it. People don't become deceived because they are evil, they become evil because they are deceived. So in other words, sometimes, and it could be easy for us to look at people that are deceived and be like, oh, those evil deceived people. Well, the reality is, is that when we look at these things from the Word, it's possible for anybody to be deceived. Anybody has the potential to be deceived if we're not careful. And so people, the reason they get deceived isn't because they're just some evil people. They turn out that way and they do evil things because they're living underneath of deception. They're living underneath of a lie. And so deception is ultimately, is darkness disguised as light. Deception is darkness disguised as light. What does it say about the enemy, about Satan? Is that he is an, he is disguised? He comes disguised as an angel of light. It's I believe it's embedded into every human being to want to want to do good. Now a lot of people suppress suppress that, and then they just become plumb evil, like Hitler and Stalin. You know those are extreme examples, but. There are some people that become hell-bent on doing evil, but I believe what's inside of every person is, even before they get born again, is to want for things to work out, to want for things to to be good. And so they find themselves going towards what they believe to be the truth, but you have to realize something. The enemy comes disguised as an angel of light, meaning that he appears bright, but the reality is he's full of darkness. He appears to be good, but what he has is nothing but evil. And realizing that, we have to realize that we have a draw towards good, towards right, towards light, but there's only one true light, and it's God. There's only one true light, and it's His Son, Jesus, and it's the Word of God. They're all combined together to be one and the same. That's the only true light. So we have a, an antidote, which I'm going to get into a little bit more details of it. We have an antidote for deception, and the simple answer is, is that it's the Word of God. But I'm going to get into even more details in just a moment. Let me go back and finish what I was saying about First Timothy chapter 4. And it says, giving heed to deceiving spirits. And if we can pull that verse back up here. Now, let me read it all together. It says, Now the Spirit says, expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Do you know what a doctrine is? A doctrine is line upon line, precept upon precept teaching. That feels a lot different than just like being hit upside the head and all of a sudden you're in a wrong place. It's like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. This is why in in my ministry, like I stick very closely to the word. And if if I find like, I'm fine with giving a little bit of my opinion here and there, that happens. And I usually try to say, this is Kentology. (laughs) This is just my view on this that I maybe don't have enough full understanding of or just given my view on something. But when it comes to what I minister, when I preach, I always go back to the Word. And I tell people, if you ever find something that I'm saying that you can't validate in the Word, come talk to me. And I even had a time, one time a guy told me, he said, he said, I think what you said here wasn't 100% correct. Now, I wasn't teaching something false, but the information I gave didn't line up perfectly. You know what I did? I said, okay, let me go research And I went back and researched it, and I come to find out I had repeated what somebody else had repeated that I trust, and it wasn't wrong. It just wasn't, well, it wasn't 100% right, so it is wrong. So, But anyways, I, I gave a number of Jesus talked about this more than anything else, and, and it wasn't accurate. It was like he talked about it the second most. So it wasn't like this huge deal, but I actually stood up. And I said, hey, I just want you all to know that I said this, and technically I was incorrect. just want you to know that. I'll... See, I'm a stickler for we have to be right. It has to be accurate. It doesn't mean that there's not room for grace, but it's that we're always tethered to what's true, and it's the Word of God. It has to be the Word of God. Otherwise, we, we open ourselves up, again, to being able to be deceived. I want to show you something really important here. This is super important. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse, in verse 9. It says this it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it That's an incredible statement Not a very encouraging one to be honest with you because a lot of times we're like Jesus my heart is just for you God my this is my heart and then people be like you have such a good heart and then Jeremiah is like yeah the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked Who can know it? And I think coming from an Old Testament man, that probably was a right perspective, but we have the ability through Christ and the Holy Spirit to understand things very, very well. I'm going to get the whiteboard up here, and I'm going to show you guys something. If you wouldn't mind grabbing, that would be awesome. I'm going to show you something here that I believe will really, really help you. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, and I'm going to draw you guys a picture. You guys like pictures? Hallelujah. I'm going to draw you a picture here, and I want to show you something, because we have, what we end up with is we end up with a lot of thoughts, a lot of uh, ideas, a lot of information that comes to us about any given thing. And if we're not careful, we can take that stuff inside, begin to meditate and think and then we make decisions without really having clarity about what's going on. Let me give you an example of this. Years ago, thank you, sir. Years ago, uh, I was sitting in, I was sitting in a, uh, just a very small meeting. And this guy, he was about my age now, just a young feller And he, he began to um, talk. And, and, of course, I was about 22 years old, 23 years old, something like that. And he began to talk, I'd have been about 25, it doesn't matter. And when he, I didn't know much then, but I knew enough to to know that what this guy was saying was just plum garbage. And he he opened up his mouth and he said this, and he was really struggling. He He was a pretty new believer, and he had his mentor, if you will, his spiritual father, whatever, that was in the room with him at that time. And looking back, I thought, and I didn't say anything when the guy said this because I just, I was just, I didn't feel like it was my place. But now I would be like, brother, you're listening to a demon from hell and just paid the consequences later because it was so off. He said this, and this guy's spiritual mentor or whatever was in the room when he said it, and he didn't bring any instruction or help to him. This is what he said. And with tears in his eyes and sincerity in his heart, out of his mouth came, the Lord told me. That if I mess up one more time, he's going to leave. That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, everybody pretty much in this room, probably everyone watching online know, knows that that's not accurate. Why is that not accurate? How do we know that that is not accurate? Before you give me the answer, because you already know it, have you ever felt like God wasn't with you before? Be honest. Have you ever felt like that before? Come on, probably every person in this room, after you got saved, you came to a point where you're like, God, I just, where are you? I don't feel you. Well, we don't go by feelings, do we? We go by what the word of God says. And Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The reason that when I told you that story, true story, by the way, the reason when I told you that, the whole room went, "Whoa!" you all gasped at the same time, was because you know what the word says concerning that. And you have on the inside, you have been able to separate out feeling from biblical fact, feeling from truth, experience just what you're experiencing in the world from what is a true reality in the word of God. This is how we have to approach every single thing that comes to us. And the way that we do this, ultimately is through the Word of God. But I'm going to give you a little bit of understanding that I think is going to be a a building block to help you be able to do this. So Hebrews chapter 4, let's pull this up and and look here in verse 12. I love this. One of my favorite verses, says, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division, listen, to the division of soul and spirit. There's a difference between soul and spirit. A lot of times people think that your, your soul is the part of you that gets changed when you get born again. Truth be told, your spirit is the part of you that gets changed when you get born again. There is a difference between your soul and your spirit. But listen to this. They're both part of the inner man. One is more inward than the other one, but they're both part of the inner man. So we have both of these things that oftentimes are not divided out, but they're jumbled together. And we don't know what's the Holy Ghost We don't know what's coming from our born-again spirit man, and we don't know what's coming from our thoughts. The way that we're able to to divide it is the word of God. And now we can see what's really true. So it says that the word of the the word of God, sharpened a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now I'm gonna come back to this verse here in just a second, but let me draw you a picture. And I'm going to do my bestest to make this thing really be amazing. All right, and I'm going to give a, this is a rendition. Okay, it's a. everybody say rendition. Not an exact copy. A rendition only. Okay, because I can see somebody coming up and going, that's not the right place there, and you probably would know better than me anyways. All right, so this is, the temple, what does the Bible say about our bodies? That's right, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, the presence of God comes to live on the, in, on the inside of us. Our bodies, you know, we put a lot of emphasis sometimes on our spirit because it's a part of us that gets changed and it's where, it's where God dwells. But without your earth suit, you have no authority in the earth. Our bodies are are incredibly important, and that's why we believe God to have longevity in our bodies, because as long as we're here, as long as our bodies are here, we're able to do what God's called us to do. Amen. So this is so when you look at the temple, the temple was basically made into three parts. And it was the now there's different names depending on who you listen to, but just bear with me. And if you've got a different name for the, the parts, then you can call it whatever you want. But it's basically divided into three parts. You have the outer courts, you have the inner courts, and then you have the holy of holies. Or you could say the outer courts, the holy place, and then the most holy place, depending on who it was that you heard talk about it. So it's divided into three parts. All right? So here you have this uh, section all out here, all right, is the uh, outer courts. I'm going to do OC for abbreviation, right? That's the outer courts. This is a parallel to our body because every one of us are made of three parts. We're made of spirit, of soul, and body. We're not just the body with some thoughts on the inside. We're not just some, you know, orb on the inside that doesn't have a, we have an earth suit also, and we're not an orb, by the way, we're made in the likeness of the image of God. And that means, the, I think it's the likeness has to do with the interior, and uh, the image has to do with the, the exterior. So if you, were, if you were to see God, which the Bible says that no one has seen God at any time, but if you were to see him, he would have a head, and he would have two arms, and he would have two legs and a torso. We resemble God in that way. He wouldn't just be whatever, you know? He looks, he would look like us. Mostly like me, but he would look like us. <laughs> yeah. No, I was kidding. Just kidding. So, yes, the heart is deceitful and it's terribly wicked. You're right. Forgive me, Jesus, <laughs> sir. I'm going to need you move to the back. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but then on the inside, God also has a soul and he he has a spirit. He is a spirit. So that's just how we're made. So this is a picture of the temple. You have the outer courts, and then you have the um, we're gonna call it the because this is a proper term, the holy place, and then here is the let's do all caps most holy place, all right, and then right here, there was a veil that was there, and this the holy place is kind of like our soul, and then the most holy place. Is like our spirit. So when the Lord told Moses, originally the tabernacle was set up. It was a tabernacle that God gave Moses, and he told them exactly how to set it up. And you can go and read, I mean, down to the detail. If you don't think God cares about detail, go and read Leviticus, go and read uh, Exodus and all that. You'll see, like, God knows every little bitty thing that's going on. And so he gave specific instruction for, for it to be built. Why did God tell them to have it built this way. It's because the temple he made in three parts, because he knew that at one one day, when Jesus came and made the way, that he would live inside of people, which are also made of three parts. And the deal is, is that in the temple, you had the outer courts, you had the um, the holy place, and then you had the most holy place. And this is where the Spirit of God dwelt. Now the Spirit of God still lives inside of the most holy place, but it's not one made with hands. It's on the inside of us. Our spirit, man, is where the Spirit of God dwells. How about that? Next time the devil tells you that you're nothing, say, wait a second. Do you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you? I didn't think so. I do. I have the Spirit of God living on the inside of me, and he and I are one. That's powerful a powerful revelation. So here's the deal. So then you say, well, where does the heart come in? Where does the heart fit in with this? Because you can find verses that will talk about soul, that will talk about spirit, but then you also hear this other term, the other two terms. One is the inner man, and the other one is the heart. And when you hear the term inner man or the heart, sometimes it's referring to the soul, sometimes it's referring to the spirit. And other times, it's referring to both of them. And so this right here, oh, that's the worst heart I've ever seen in my life. Okay, that's a heart. Forgive me. I should have at least done it in red so you could distinguish it, all right? I flunked Valentine class. Okay, so, (laughs) all right, you got it. You You get the idea. So that's what makes up our heart, it's our, it's our belief system, but it's, it's a mixture. That's one way you could describe it. It's our belief system, but it's a mixture of our soul and our spirit. And your soul, if you want to get more detailed, is your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience. Take 301 and you'll learn more about it. But anyways, it's your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience, and your spirit. It is the new born again, made alive unto God, one with Jesus, you, you where the Holy Spirit now dwells, and you and him are one together. So the goal is to avoid deception is that we're able to separate this from this. Now, let's go back to that verse. It says, because remember, it says the heart is terribly wicked. Now, an Old Testament man, he could say that about both parts of his heart. A New Testament man can't say that. A born-again person can't say that. Why? Why? Because one part of them has been completely made new, made alive unto Christ. So much so that Paul says in Ephesians, he says, put on the new man. You don't, you, you don't have the old spirit anymore. It's dead, it's buried and gone, and it should remain there. But you have a new life in Christ. Literally, the old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. What's that talking about? It has to be talking about our spirit Everybody believe that the word of God is true. If it says something, it's true. So if it says that if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What's it talking about? Has to be our spirit, man. Why? Because we know in the realm of our soul, our mind, will, emotions, and conscience, we still have issues. I still, believe it or not, sometimes I don't think right. So, so This is like, amen. Sometimes my emotions are a little bit out of whack. And I could tell you now, I mean, I'm working on my 12-pack, but anyways, my body is, my body, obviously, went before I got, well, I was born again when I was seven, so I've changed a lot since then. But anyways, you know, but when I got born again, when I first gave my life to the Lord and I was transformed on the inside, my body didn't instantly change. I was still a seven-year-old kid that didn't know much. Amen. Well, that was been my soul, didn't know much, so my soul didn't instantly change. And then my body, I still looked the exact same. I didn't come up from the basement stairs and walk upstairs after giving my heart to Jesus. And my mom go, who are you? She still saw that I was the same kid. Why? Because my body looked the exact same. So is God's word true or is it not true? Yeah, it's true. What part became totally brand new and made new? It was our spirit, man. So when we come to this verse, what we're needing to do is this. It says, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow And is talking about the word, and as a discerner, you know what it means to discern something? It's kind of like when you, it's kind of like if you were to go, like, you ever done something really stupid before? I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, And you're there and you're trying to decide, should I do this or not? You're trying to use discernment. Oftentimes we don't make the right decision, but you're trying to use discernment as to what you should do or not do. You're making the vision between this is good, this is not good. I'm going to go ahead and do the good thing. That's what this is talking about with this sermon. It says it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So all of that stuff that's going on in there, what's true, what's right, what's, what's real? You know, that guy that I told you about that he said that, you know, uh, that he said, if I mess up one more time, Jesus said that he'll, he'll leave me. You know what he, was, what he was doing was he was taking his experience, he was taking his his emotions, his feelings, just how he thought, his perception about God. And he didn't mix it with the word because if he had mixed it with the word of God, it would have separated it out and and the Lord would have been able to show him, son, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. That feeling and that thought that you have about me leaving you, it is a lie. It's a deceiving spirit that's trying to get you to build a doctrine in your heart and your mind of something different than what I say about you. I know what I'm going to do. I want to stop. Because I have so much that I'm going to have to fit it into next week. You'll we'll be here. Oh Jesus, I am just scratching the surface with this thing. Well let me finish I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to finish with this. How can it be that Christians because if you asked any any real Christian, real believer, where truth comes from, every one of them will say it comes from the Word of God. Every one of them would say that. If any of them said different, then they're not a real believer, just flat out. So then how could Jesus say that even the elect will be deceived? The difference is this. Some people only have knowledge. Some people have revelation knowledge. There are things probably right now in your life that are, that are on the inside of you that are true. They're right. You know that they're right because you've backed them up from, from the word. But it's more than just paper and ink to you. It's that you were with the revelator. And he breathed the breath of life into you concerning it. And you couldn't go back. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.